Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen, that's re- really nice of you. Thank you. But truthfully, I am the fortunate one here. I am so grateful to get to be here. Thank you, Dallas. You look great today. You guys have an amazing church. Um, when I met uh, Michael a couple of years back, he's he, for me, he was one of those people that I met, and I was like, man, this is a brother. This is a true brother. And so I'm just really grateful for Michael and for Brooke and for their investment. I mean, what God is doing here, it is just remarkable. And so if today's your first day here, if you're new here, if you're a guest, if somebody invited you today, I genuinely hope you enjoy it. But if you don't, I'm not the regular preacher, all right? I'm just a guest, so it gets even better from here. So come back, please, come back. Um, We're going to talk about money today, which I'm sure you woke up this morning and you were like, I think I'm going to go to the church today, and I hope they're talking about money. Well, good news. Dreams do come true. We are talking about money, so congratulations. Um, No, most people don't like talking about money at church, um, but that's what we're talking about today, and I'm really excited about this message, truthfully. Uh, I have this big gash on my forehead because uh, yesterday we got back from the beach. We went down to the coast for a couple of days, and my wife and I, we have five kids And yes, we do know how that happens. And I genuinely love them, but taking a six-hour car ride with them is not exactly what I had on my agenda for that day. It was quite crazy. We were so ready to get out of the car. I was unloading stuff. I had hung a bike up onto the wall, and I was putting some chairs down right after that and just completely rammed my head into the bike that I had just hung up on the wall. And if it were not for Michael's sermon that he preached two weeks ago on complaining it would have been a real bad scene for me, but I had heard that message and it came flooding back into my mind as soon as all that happened. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to stay calm. I'm standing on the, this side of the earth, which is wonderful. I got 10 toes on the ground. I have my health except for the concussion that I just gave myself. And other than that, it's a pretty good day. And so uh, listen, if you haven't heard that message, you got to go back and listen to it. What I loved about it is I loved him talking about perspective. And I thought I would just use that to jump off with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I want to talk, before we jump into money, let's talk real quick about perspective, because perspective really is everything. How many of you, you're dog people? Yeah? You love dogs? Got a dog? Got multiple dogs? Um, This is our new dog right here, this fierce little fella. Yeah. In case you're wondering, he is a male, and he is full grown, okay? So, uh, tough guy, too. His name is Hank. I call him Hank the Tank. Uh, my wife really wanted to get a dog. I wanted something bigger. She won the day, as she usually does, which I'm so grateful for. He's become a part of our family. Um, I do have to ask this, though. How many of you dog people are totally cool to let your dog kiss you on the mouth? Okay, cool. Everybody just keep your hand in the air real quick, if you don't mind. These are the people, everybody look around you. These are the people that you want taking care of you when you die, Okay. These are, the, these are the, some of the most lovely souls on the planet, okay? These are people that they will love you until the end. How many of you, you love dogs, but there's no way you're letting your dog kiss you on the mouth? 
Yeah, cool. Why is that? It's gross because you don't know where that dog's mouth has been, right? That's what you're thinking, but maybe you feel like you couldn't say it. Listen, perspective is everything. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying I make out with our dog all the time, okay? So don't hear me saying that. But I will say from time to time, when I come home from doing something, there is usually one soul that is really excited about seeing me. It's my wife. The second one, though, is this dog. The dog is going crazy. Nobody, I mean, I could be gone for 10 minutes. I come back in, and the dog treats me like I just came back from Vietnam, right? And sometimes I will lay down on the ground in exhaustion, and that dog will jump on top of me and just be licking my face. And I can't tell you that it's never happened that we've made some mouth-to-mouth connection, okay? I would have thought that was gross, too, before I started really, you know, feeling some fondness toward this dog, right? I'm telling you, perspective is everything. How you see your dog will determine whether or not you let your dog kiss you. And some of you, your dog is a part of your family. And some of you, you're like, I know where that dog's mouth has been. So the answer is hard pass, right? But how you see will determine what you do. How you see anything will determine what you do. How you see health will determine the decisions you make. How you see your marriage, your relationship with your spouse will determine how you handle it, how you see your kids, how you see your parents, how you see your job, and how you see money. The way you view money will determine what you do with your money. All right, I've I've asked you to hold your hand up in the air a bunch of times, and I won't do it anymore after this unless I forget and ask you again. But how many of you grew up in church? A bunch of you, yeah, yeah. I did too, okay? And if somebody were to ask me, if they were to say, hey, listen, based on your experience growing up in church, what would you say God's opinion is of money? I would say he wants my money. That's what I would have learned based on all the preachers I heard saying God wants your money, right? I just thought that was the relationship that God had with money was he wanted it. He was... And it's not, here's my perspective now is I'm going, okay, God's not jealous of my money. God is a jealous God. He's jealous for our heart, right? He wants our heart because he knows we were made to be in a relationship with him. But how ridiculous is it to think that God wants our money, right? I mean, it's a little bit absurd. If you believe, though, that God just wants your money, it's going to change things. You'll never be able to give as much as you would want to give. You'll never be as generous because you'll feel like, oh, he's always trying to get his hand into my pocket. He's always trying to get his hand into my wallet, his hand into my account, right? You'll never give enough. You'll never experience contentment like you were made to experience contentment. Did you know that the wealthier you are doesn't mean the happier you are? Did you know that people, they've done research that has shown that people that drive luxury cars are less happy than people who don't. Is that not shocking, right? Because some of you are like, if I could just get that, whatever it is, fill in the blank, then I would be happy. The truth is, no, it doesn't work that way, right? There is a level of wealth. I think the number is like $70,000 where anything beyond that does not actually lead to more joy, satisfaction, contentment, happiness in life. But if you believe God just wants your money, you'll never give enough, you'll never be content, Enough And happiness will be relegated to these moments in life, these fleeting moments in life. I, I, I hope, one of my hopes for today, simple hope, is that our perspective would shift from God just wants my money to what's actually true, which is God doesn't just want your money. 
Because God owns all the money, right? God doesn't want your money because God owns it all already. I, I'm going to show you this one verse, the way that we've done the last couple of weeks in the series, is we've been using a proverb and then jumping off from there into some other different, exploring that topic. Uh, I'm going to cheat just a little bit. Instead of using a proverb, I'm going, to use, I'm going to use a psalm that, in a sense, reads like a proverb because it's all about, it's really a, a wiser way to understand life. But check this out. This is Psalm 24.1. I also want to do this little exercise together. I want us to read this out loud together. All right, we're going to read it twice, then I'm going to pull it down, and we're going to say it all together because I really hope that you might memorize this. I think this verse is, it's one of the most crucial verses to having a healthy perspective on money. All right, Psalm 24.1. You guys ready? Get in it with me if you would. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. All right, you got to say it with some pizzazz though, okay? Put some heart into it, people. Let's try it one more time. All right, you ready? Let's pull it down. God bless you. That was fantastic. Right on cue. Let's pull it down and see if we can read it all together. Or say it all together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Yeah, you just memorized the verse right there. I hope that you'll lock that one up. Look at how powerful that verse is. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God owns everything. God owns it all. And when you start to see your, I'm going to use the word wealth today because this parable we're going to look at uses the word wealth, but I'm not saying wealth as in rich. I'm saying wealth as in everything you have, your time, your talent, your treasure, your time, maybe your most valuable possession, your talent, the thing you're good at, and then your treasure, whatever it is that you treasure, whatever it is that you have that you like, whether it's your, your scooter, your bike, your car, your house, your baking set, I don't know, your, your, your boat, anybody got a boat? What's the next best thing to have in a boat? Camper. A camper? I was going to say having a friend with a boat is the next best thing to have in a boat, right? Anybody know what boat stands for? Bust out another thousand, right? Those of you boat owners, you know what I'm talking about? Look, I'm telling you, whatever is your thing that you have, I'm going to say that that's your wealth. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about whatever that is in your possession. I hope that by the end of today that we might start to see, I don't know that perspective can shift in 30 minutes. Maybe it can. Who knows? God can do anything. But would we start to shift our perspective to seeing, okay, how would I live differently if I believed that everything I have is not mine? That everything I have is on loan from the creator. That the almighty God owns it all and has entrusted to me what is under my possession, my time, my talent, and my treasure? How would I live differently if that were the case? A lot of you, um, you, you, you can feel yourself kind of bristle against that in a, in a way, right? Because some of you, a lot of you, have worked really hard for what you have. You didn't inherit it. You worked hard for what you have. You work hard for the money, right? I mean, you hustle. You have hustled. You're on the grind. You took a risk when nobody else was willing to take a risk. You worked hard for what you have. In fact, it's one of the beautiful things about the American dream, right? You know, the American dream is that most societies, particularly throughout history, most societies, whatever class you were born into, you were locked into that class, right? You, you couldn't get out of the class that you were born into. But then we created this country with, with, with these ideals and, and the system in which 
You can actually jump from class to class. That if you work hard enough, that if you're able to make it, you can actually get out of the class you're in and move into a different class. That's the American dream. And so I believe in hard work. I believe in investing well, making good decisions, saving well. But we have to be careful that that doesn't lead us to believe that what I have is mine, right? In fact, in Deuteronomy, I want you to look at this. We're gonna, before we jump to this parable Jesus taught, let me show you one other little passage from the Old Testament. This is God speaking to his people, the, uh, uh, the Israelites, in verse 17, Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. He says, I like the way he begins this. You may say to yourself, right, because we have this constant conversation with ourselves all day long. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, right? We're all tempted to say that. How did you get that wealth? My power, the strength of my hands. Anybody listen to the podcast, um, How I Built This? You ever listen to that podcast? It's a great one. Because all it does, it just tells stories of companies. Like uh, I listened to one recently on, on Peloton. The guy that started Peloton, very interesting story. Uh, another interesting one, just hot tip, this one's for free. Uh, the one on Burt's Beeswax, or Burt's, uh, Burt's Bee, right? The, the chapstick thing, right? You know that one? Uh, real interesting twist. The lady that started it ended up having this love affair with this guy that was a beekeeper. Fascinating story. They usually aren't that interesting as far as the, uh, they don't get into the love affairs of these uh, founders, these, these company founders. But they always ask him at the end of every episode, the, guy, the, the, the host, he asks him at the end, he says, uh, remarkable story, thank you. Question, if you had to attribute the success of your company to something, would you attribute it to your hard work, to, to your smarts, to, to the willingness to take a risk, or would you attribute it to luck, just the, the right opportunity, right place at the right time? Which one? It, and it's a very interesting, and I, I'm not saying there's a right answer, but you, can, you always learn something about the person, right? Because nobody just wants to say, oh, I have what I have and it's just luck. I have what I have and it just was gifted to me. I have what I have and anybody could have done it. No, no, no. We have more self-pride than that, right? But the danger is that we do just what, this, what God said in Deuteronomy where we think, oh, I have what I have because of the power in my hands, the strength of my hands. He says, be careful to do that. Don't, don't, don't in fact. He says, remember instead the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, right? It's the Lord God that even gave you the ability to get what you have. And that's hard for us to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow, right? C.S. Lewis, uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he's basically adding commentary to Deuteronomy 8. Look at the way he said it. He said, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Come on. If you devoted your whole life to try to pay him back for all that you've been given, you couldn't do it. 
because he's given us so much and the ability to pay him back is his already anyway. God doesn't just want your money. No, God doesn't just want your money. God doesn't need your money. God owns all the money, right? And when you believe that, when when the perspective shifts to start seeing that, that puts us in a in a unique role. What what is the role of someone who's managing it but doesn't own it? What's that called? What is it? Yeah, accountant. We're a steward, right? Somebody said the word steward. This word steward is a deeply biblical word, meaning there are real there are real theological roots to this word that. When you see yourself as a steward, that you are managing the owner's stuff, it changes things. Because what does a good steward do? Well, a good steward tries to understand what does the owner, what is the master, what what, what does the owner value? And how do I live in such a way that honors the whims and the desires and the demands even of the owner. That's what a steward does. A steward goes, I got to understand what does the owner value? And now how do I handle this in such a way that it honors the values of the owner? That's our job as a steward. And so Jesus comes along with that shift in perspective. Jesus comes along and talks about Money. And he didn't just talk about money a little bit. Jesus talked about money a lot bit. 28%, researchers tell us, 28% of everything Jesus said was about money. All right? So if you wonder why preachers talk about money so much, it's because, well, that's what we got to talk about, right? 28% of sermons, in a sense, ought to be about money because that was 28% of Jesus' sermons was talking about money. But he does it in such a creative way. This is what I was so excited about talking about today. He, 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 did, he, he particularly used parables to explain this, right? You know what a parable is. A parable is a, it's a story that Jesus would tell that would, that would give meaning to something or that would teach something in a unique way. The, even the word para, the word, uh, excuse me, the word parable is para balo. Balo, to throw, para alongside of. So it's like Jesus would tell an everyday story that people could understand, but then he would throw meaning alongside of it and he would teach something. And so this story we're going to look at today, it's in Luke 16. This, it's, it's, a, it's a made-up story, but Jesus made this story up to try to illustrate, to try to help us understand the kind of steward he wants us to become, the kind of steward he wants us to be. And in this story, there's twists, there's turns, there's ups, there's downs. It's like a roller coaster at Dollywood. I mean, it's got everything in it. In fact, it, it leaves us a little bit befuddled because in a way Jesus it seems like he's celebrating someone who was dishonest. And that's always been confusing to me. But my hope is that as we read it, as we understand it, that God will, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will illuminate it for us so we can understand, okay, how should I now live? That's really the answer, the question for today. If I'm a steward, how do I now live? How do I now live as a steward of what God has entrusted for me? The the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything that I have, anything that is under my possession, it's not mine. I'm just here to steward it. And so how shall I now live? All right, here's the story. Check this out. Luke 16. 
Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. All right? Two big characters in the story. There's the rich man and there's the manager. Pop quiz. Which one in this story is God? The rich man. Which one is you? The manager. Okay? So spoiler alert, I didn't want to wait till the end to get this. You can go ahead and get that up front. And now when you read it, it just gives you a little, it, 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 it helps you see it in a better light. The, the rich man is meant to characterize God and, and the, the manager is us. It's us. And so this manager is accused of wasting the rich man's possessions. So what should happen to this manager? He should get fired, okay? I mean, this is what, what happened to you. If you're wasting somebody, if you're on Facebook all day, wasting somebody's resources, then they should fire you. Or another way to put it is they should free up your future, right? Don't you like that phrase? It's not, you didn't get fired. No, I just, we, no, we're not fire, we're firing you? No, no, we're not doing that. We're just freeing up your future to go waste someone else's possessions. You've wasted enough of them here, all right? So here's the way it goes. He calls him in and he says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. Now, this is really important for us to pay attention to. All of us are going to have to give an account for how we're managing the owner's possessions. I, I, I don't know what you believe about life, but that is very clear. That is a thread that runs throughout Jesus' teaching that we are all going to be held accountable for how we're living, specifically how we're managing the rich man's possessions. And in this case, this manager wasn't managing it very well, and so he gets fired. But he's got a few days remaining. Verse 3, so the manager said to himself, again, the conversation he's having with himself all day long, the conversation you're having with yourself all day long, he says, self, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I don't love that phrase. What's wrong with that phrase? He's not taking your job away from you. You lost your, it, okay, let me back up a second. It's not your job, man. It's his job that he was letting you be in. Okay, so it's not your job. You, he's not taking away something that was mine. That's called entitlement, Right? He was entitled. I feel like I am entitled to something I think is mine, but it's not actually yours. You're not entitled to that man's job. That's that man's job. It's his business. He can do what he wants to do with his business. So I don't love the fact that he's like, oh, he's taking away my job. No, no, bro, you lost the job. If you'd have done a better job, you'd still have the job. It's not your job, though, okay? But you didn't lose the job. But nonetheless, that's what he says. So I love that. Even, even in doing this, Jesus is like giving us little insights, right, into the way all of us are tempted to think. And then I love what he says here. I don't know about you all. I relate so deeply to this. He goes, I'm not strong enough to dig, and neither am I. Have y'all tried to dig lately? Folks, digging is, it is way harder than it looks. I don't know, do y'all ever listen to Nate Bargatze, the comedian? He's got this whole bit that he does on digging in his latest 
whatever, Netflix or Amazon special or whatever. Pretty hilarious. He, and this is not necessarily, I mean, he's very appropriate, usually pretty appropriate, but he's like, there would be a lot more murders in this world if digging was easier. He's like, I think that really is what keeps us from killing each other, is you kill somebody and you got to go dig the hole, and that's just impossible to try to do. It is tough. My wife had me try to plant some lantanas the other day. I'm digging like a four-inch hole in the ground. I, I mean, I was like, what is this? This is all concrete. Like, what is going on? Digging is not easy. So I relate to this brother. I'm like, I am not strong enough to dig either. And then secondly, he goes, and I'm ashamed to beg. It's like, well, you're going to have to do one or the other, okay? You're either going to have to get good at digging or get good at begging because those are your options. And he's like, I got a third option. I got it. Okay, what is it? He goes, I know what I'll do. Eureka. When I lose my job here, people are going to welcome me into their houses. Pretty cool. Think about this. He goes, there's something I can do now that will set me up to be in a good spot later. Now that is a godly principle. That's sowing and reaping, right? That's understanding that my decisions today affect life tomorrow. If you can't say amen, you better cry, right? I mean, that is, that is real life, right? There. Most people don't like that. People love the Vegas theology, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not life. Life is what I do today affects my life tomorrow. That's the way life works. And so this guy's like, I got an idea. I've got something I can do today that's going to put me in a good spot tomorrow. So here's what he does. Check, check out his plan. So he calls in each one of his master's debtors. All right. He calls up the bookkeeper that worked for the company. He's like, yo, send me over uh, accounts payable and accounts receivable. And he wants to see who still owes stuff. And then he hits those people up. First guy he goes to is the olive oil guy. He goes, what do you owe my master? And this guy goes, oh, I owe him 900 gallons of olive oil. Brother was making some serious hummus, y'all. I mean, lots of it. Can you imagine that? 900 gallons of olive oil? I mean, put inflation aside. That is expensive, right? Y'all been to Costco lately? Olive oil is expensive everywhere. Only thing more expensive than olive oil is some vanilla, right? I mean, this is serious debt that he's got. And so the guy goes, can you pay it? And he's like, no, I haven't paid it because I can't pay it. He's like, cool, what can you pay? He goes, I can do 450. You can do 450 gallons of olive oil today. He's like, yes. And it, look where he, goes, he says, take your bill, sit down quickly. First, he's like, shut the door, turn the sound machine on, right? Sit down, take out the bill, and quickly make it 450. And the guy's like, cool, I'm down, man, this is perfect. So he cuts him a deal, and the guy brings him the 450 gallons of olive oil. Next guy comes in. This dude doesn't have an, have an olive oil obsession. He's got a wheat addiction. He says, I got 1,000 bushels of wheat. He's like, cool, take your bill and make it 800. So he does the same thing with him. Pretty smart guy, right? A bit dishonest, but smart. And look at what Jesus says that the rich man would say to this man. The master, if you're reading in your Bible or reading in the Bible app, I would underline the word commended. Because that's a little surprising. That the master commended the dishonest manager? Why? Well, because he had acted shrewdly. What an interesting word, right? He was one shrewd dude, right? He was a shrewd steward. 
He, he, he did, what, what, is it, what does it mean to be shrewd? He was, he was wise. He was thoughtful. He, he, he found a way to do something now that would help himself out later. And then Jesus makes a really interesting comment about Jesus followers versus people who aren't Jesus followers. And he says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's another conversation for another day. And look at what Jesus says as a comment about this. Verse 9, he says, I tell you, here's the application. In case you're having a hard time picking up, like, where is this going? What does he mean by this? Jesus tells us. Some parables, he just leaves them hanging, right? But this one, he explains it. He applies it. He says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, when, when what's gone? Your worldly wealth. You know your worldly wealth has an expiration date, right? Pretty similar to your date of death, right? You're not taking it with you. There are no U-Hauls on hearses, right? But it's, it's going to be gone. You can't take the boat. You can't take the scooter. You can't take the car. You can't take the house. You can't take the 401k. You can't take it into the next life. He goes, so when, it's gone, so when your worldly wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, now you gotta, I'm telling you, this is like highbrow stuff. I mean, this is sophisticated. This is thoughtful. You've got to really think about this. What is he saying? What does he mean by this? I, 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 read it again. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here's what I read. Here's what I understand. He's saying there's this life and there's eternal life. How long is this life compared to eternal life? James says it's a vapor, brother of Jesus. He says it's a vapor. It's like a, a mist. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's nothing. But you can live in such a way in this life that there are people in the next life, in the eternal life, who are only there because of the way you lived in this life. Think about this. This is your story. This is my story. There are men and women who they might not have directly told me about Jesus, but they gave me a ride. They used their car to give me a ride. There are, there are men and women who, they opened up their home and let us meet in their home. There are men and women who supported the ministry of the church that I grew up in, that I'll never meet. Some of them have passed away. And I'm gonna be in heaven because I put my faith in Jesus, but I only was able to put my faith in Jesus because of the church that they supported. They used their worldly wealth that had an expiration date on it, but they used it while they still had time so that when I get to meet them, when I get to see them someday, I'm gonna well up in, with tears. It's gonna be emotional for me because I'm gonna be like, you don't even know me. Yet you used what you had 
so that I'm here now. Look, I, I, we don't need to show your hands on this one, but how many of you are here today because of a grandmother or a grandfather who used what, the, who had this perspective? Their stuff didn't own them. No, they used their stuff. They used their car. They used their house. They used their money. And you, you know Jesus because of it. I'm telling you, it's your story. It's my story. And Jesus is saying, come on in and be a part of it. Come on in and make your life about this. Come on in and be like this manager. Come on in and use what you have right now so that in the next life there will be people there who when they meet you are going to say, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And you're going to be like, what? Come on, man. I just, I was just letting, I was just, I was just given to the church because I think everybody ought to have a plan to support the church that they love. They're like, no, no, no. It's a way bigger deal than that. They're going to be like, yeah, it's not that big. I'm just letting people use my car. I just, I was just supporting that ministry that helps single moms. Like I, I was just trying to do what I could do. I was, I just felt grateful. I had a guy tell me the other day, I was thanking him for something he did for me. He goes, stop. He said, if, if, if you could do what I just did, would you do it? And I was like, I, don't, I, I hope so. But he's like, of course you would. He's like, I'm just glad to be able to do it. And I'm telling you, some of you already have that perspective, but what would it look like if all of us lived that way, right? What would it look like if we used what we have in this life in such a way that in the next life, there's countless men and women who when they meet you go, thank you, thank you. I don't know why you did it, but thank you. I'm only here because of you. So I'm going to give you four words. If you're a note taker, write these four words down. Number one, it's about ownership. We got to change our perspective on ownership. God owns it all. You don't own it. I don't own it. God owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Number two, it's about responsibility. Look, no matter how much you have, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Don't you hate that feeling when somebody's trying to make you feel guilty? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to remind you that you, you are responsible for what you have. Some of you are for real rich. You don't have to feel guilty that you're rich. Some of you had to decide today which car you were gonna drive here right? Some of you have not one phone, you got two phones. Some of you have a little house that you park your car in. Your car has its own house. Some of you have so much food, you have a freezer that is full because you don't have enough room other places and you got, a, you got a, an, an extra deep freezer. No, I mean, I'm, I'm for real. I'm for real. Like some of you got real money. You don't have to feel guilty about that, but you are responsible for it. Thirdly, there is an accountability. Not only is there a shift on ownership, not only is there a responsibility, but there is accountability. You're going to be held accountable. I'm going to be held accountable with what I have done, what I am doing. I'm telling you, this is not some sermon. I'm standing up here preaching to you. 
I'm sitting where you are. This is Jesus preaching to all of us. I'm going to be held accountable for what I do with what I have. And so are you. You're going to be held accountable too. And that's why I don't feel the need to try to give you some slick application about what you, you should do. Should you give more money to Soma? Maybe. Should, should you donate money to some other ministry? Maybe. Should, should you let somebody use your extra car? Maybe. Should you sell your car? Maybe. Should you downsize your house? Maybe. Should you use your ability to bake stuff to help other people out? Maybe. I don't know. Here's what's awesome. The Holy Spirit of God is living and active. And if you really want to know, ask him. I dare you. Ask him. Take an inventory of what you have, your time, your talent, and treasure. Ask him. Say, what, what, what do you want me to do with this? How can I use this in such a way that one day there's going to be people that meet you because of how I used my stuff? I'm telling you, there's an opportunity, there's a responsibility, there's an accountability. And then lastly, the fourth big word, there is a reward for this, right? What's the reward? I don't know of anything in life that would give you more joy than to help somebody else meet Jesus. I, I mean, you can try skydiving, you can try that hobby that you love. You can try the nicest restaurant in the world. You can try all the wealth in the world. I don't know that it's going to give you what that feeling that comes of using your stuff in such a way that somebody's eternity is changed because of how you used your stuff. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a better ROI than that. So there's certainly an ownership there's a responsibility, there's an accountability, but there's a reward that comes with this. And so I just want to invite you on behalf of Jesus to come on in. Look at your stuff. Don't let it own you. No, use your stuff in such a way that while you're here on earth, while you still have it, that you're using it in such a way that one day in the next life, somebody's going to be like, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Heavenly Father, I, I, um, I just ask you to be active. You, do, do what only you can do. I just pray that you, you'll use the, this moment to show us, help us to see it. Give us a vision for what you might want to do. You might want to start something today. You might want somebody to sell something today. You might want somebody to change their lifestyle today. God, who knows what you might want to do? How dare we stand in front of you with the Holy Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit and not expect for massive life change? So we just ask you today to shift our perspective. I pray that you would shift the tectonic plates that are underneath the foundation upon which we live that would drastically change the way we see this world. We just ask you for that. And then I know there's some of you that you've never put your faith in Jesus, and I would be remiss if we didn't give you an opportunity to do that today. And so if today, if you're going, hey, I, I need to meet Jesus. 
forget using my stuff. I mean, I'll get to that in a bit, but I need to know Jesus. If that's you today, I just would invite you to pray this prayer. Just say, Father in heaven, I need you. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need life. I'm broken without you. I'm a mess without you. I'm ultimately dead without you. And I need you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection from the dead. And I put my faith in you as King, as Lord, and as Savior. And if that's you today, we would love to just pray for you. So would you just pop your hand in the air? If today's the day where you wanna put your faith in Jesus, nobody's looking around, just throw your hand up in the air. Let me just see you real quick. Where are you at? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, we just pray that whatever happens today, that you would use us. Use us in mighty ways and massive ways. Help us to see differently so we can live differently. We just declare, just like the psalmist declared, that the earth is the Lord's and all who live in it. So we wanna live our lives in such a way that eternity's changed. And we just cannot thank you enough for allowing us that amazing opportunity to join you in your work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.